But so this morning we're going to continue on in the book of James. We've been in it two weeks and we've only made it four verses in. But we're not going to really pick up the pace this week. We're going to really tackle three verses again. I promise as we get a little further, we'll start to pick up pace. But some of these pieces are really foundational for us to understand, for us to understand what James is telling us as we get further and further along in this book. And so we're going to do that today. And uh, it's always a little bit stranger with my wife here interpreting versus someone else to hear her voice behind mine. And so you, those of you that are bilingual, make sure she's saying what I'm saying. Okay. But again, as I mentioned last week, this is something we prepared together. Last night, Nina and I were going through, she's had my outline, we're talking through this information, we're preparing together, she's giving me her insight, she's giving me her perspective. And so just to remind, for this week, on Wednesday night, we will be doing a, a sermon prep time. For those of you that have talked with me, or those of you that want to, please talk to me. We'll be coming together to prepare um, for next week's message. So that'll be Wednesday night, we'll do that here, and I'll send out more information, but please let me know if you're interested. But as we looked last week, and what I want to do is just read, because I don't want to forget where we've been. So we're going to look at James chapter 1, verse 2. And it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So last week, James jumps right in, and he tells us we're going to experience trials. We're going to experience difficulties. It's going to be difficulties of various kinds. But he says, we're to, we're to, God is going to produce this steadfastness in us. But the first thing he says is we're to count it all joy. And we talked about that there's this deliberate decision that I consider, consider with my mind that I'm supposed to have this perspective of joy. I'm supposed to make this decision based on my knowledge of God, based on my understanding of God, but also based on my experience with God. So I know from what He's done for me in the past, from where I was, that I was helpless, that I was a sinner, that I was going to hell, and yet God reached out for me. God saved me. God gave me His Son. And now He's called me His Son. And He's allowed me to be part of His family. So I have this knowledge of Him in my past, and I have this knowledge of Him in the present, what He's doing in my life, that He's transforming, that He's making me more and more into the image of His Son. And then I have faith, I have hope, in what He says He's going to do in the future. That He's going to one day restore me, that He's going to restore us, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and that we'll be with Him, and that things will be right. So based on that perspective, based on that knowledge of God, I'm to have this perspective of joy even in the midst of these difficulties, even in the midst of these trials. And remember, we talked about trials, that it's not a one-time deal. It's not that, wow, I passed the test, it's over, my faith is real. It's an ongoing probationary period. It's a long time. It's for the rest of our lives that we have here on earth. So as long as we're here, we'll experience trials. But those trials, those tests, are an opportunity for our faith to be Demonstrated. They're an opportunity for our faith to prove to be authentic. And so as we do that, as we encounter these trials, God wants to produce in us this steadfastness, this ability to remain under. Not to flee, not to escape the trial, but to remain under it. 
And as we do that, then God's going to make us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so that's the joy we have as we encounter these trials. And that's the first command, that's the first imperative that James has given to us. And I look back at that this week. And that sounds great. But then the more I think about it, it doesn't sound very doable. I don't, did James experience that? Did he work that out in his head, but he didn't work it out in his life? And I think he did, because the next verse that he tells us. So let me read the passage for today. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a devil-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And so as I look through these verses, I see three things that James wants us to do. The first is that he wants us to embrace our need, our desperate need for wisdom. He wants us to understand our need so that we would seek wisdom. And then when we understand that we need wisdom, he wants to tell us where to go. What's the source of wisdom? And then lastly, after we understand our need and we understand the source, then he wants to tell us how do we approach God? How do we ask for wisdom? What's the manner in which we do it? And understand that as we ask for this wisdom, it's in relation to how do I live out these trials? How do I endure under these trials with a perspective of joy? I need wisdom to know how to do that. Because for myself, that doesn't come naturally. This is a supernatural thing. This is God giving us His wisdom so that we might respond in that way. So in the first verse, verse 5 here, it's a little bit the English. I don't think communicates what it originally meant in the Greek. That It says, if, if you lack wisdom. But James wouldn't, that's not what he intended. That's not how his audience would have understood. It was not a question, do I lack wisdom? It was an understanding. We all lack wisdom. It's not some days I lack wisdom and some days I have it. I always need it. I always lack wisdom. And that this is a, an individual recognition. It's not that I need to acknowledge that with my head. I need to decide with my heart, I am in need of wisdom. I have a desperate need. If you look at pictures of yourself, when I look at pictures of myself, I get a better picture of actually what I look like. I take quick looks in the mirror as I pass by to the bathroom, etc., and I get ready in the morning. But sometimes when I see pictures, I'm like, I have that much gray hair? Or, or I, get a, I get a different perspective, my neck is that thick, it's kind of rolling up there, it must just be a bad angle. But that picture, you know, is misleading. But I start to see better myself and understand myself better. And in my life, probably the biggest truth teller is my wife. My wife can speak to me and tell me truth in my life when I don't even see it myself. And we need those individuals in our lives. And that's why we're a body. That's why we're together. That's why we, we meet in discipleship groups and do life on life with each other so we can speak into each other's life. Because I can't see myself correctly on my own. My perception is off. 
I start to justify why I do what I do and why I think how I think. And I need others around me to say, no, Britt, this is what I see. This is what I see in your life. This is what I see that you believe by the way you live it out. And so that's why we do life together. That's why we don't just gather here on Sunday morning and then I'll see you next week. We need to be in each other's life, watching each other, witnessing each other's life so we can speak truth, so we do get a better perspective of our desperate need. So this is the immediate context for us to have this perspective of wisdom as we encounter trials. We want wisdom. We need wisdom. And so we need to understand exactly what are we talking about when we say wisdom. And wisdom is the understanding that we can have from God that we can respond in a way that reflects His will. This is what God wants. I can understand that. And I have the wisdom now to put that in practice. That my life, my actions would demonstrate what I say I believe, what God has shown me. But I think for us to have this perspective of joy as we encounter trials, to have the wisdom to do that, we first need to have a better perspective of ourselves. We tend to rush to, well, let me just work on getting wisdom, let me work on dealing with this trial, and I've not even gotten a right perspective of myself. I don't think that you can be arrogant and wise. You can't think that you know a lot, that you have a lot of experience and knowledge, and yet be wise. To be wise, you have to be humble. You have to understand, I am in tremendous need. I am a sinner. I am falling short. I can't do what God asked me to do. So I need wisdom. If I feel that I've got it all together, why do I need wisdom? Why do I need that to approach to live a godly life? So I have to realize my place. And I think we miss this. The, ten, the things that are available to us, that are normal to us, we take them for granted. One of the things that we need that's foundational for us is just the air we breathe, the oxygen that we take in. You guys have already this morning taken thousands of breaths. But I don't know, unless you're sick, unless you're compromised, or unless you ran here, or you exercised this morning, and put your body under stress or strain, then you didn't think about your breathing. You didn't think about your need for air. When we compete, when we're in a race, like we talked about last week, that this is the race that's been set out before us, you have to regulate your breathing. You have to consider your breathing. You have to be conscious of it. Conscious of it. And of any sporting event, swimming is probably the most where you have to think about and regulate your breathing. And so any swimming coach would tell you that breathing is the most important component of swimming. And then of breathing, the most important component is your exhalations. So if you think about a swimmer, they spend half the race or more than half the race with their face in the water. They're underwater, they can't breathe, but yet they need oxygen to continue to race, to continue to swim. And so they take the entire time that they're under the water, they're breathing out, exhaling, getting rid of this carbon dioxide, and they've got this brief moment to put their head above the water to bring in the oxygen. They put their head back under and they begin to exhale again. And so the entire time they're preparing themselves, they're getting rid of what they need to, preparing their lungs so they can take in this oxygen that's needed. And I think that's what James is saying here. We need to prepare ourselves. We need to have a perspective. We need to realize our place, that I am nothing. Don't think you're something when you're nothing. I need God's wisdom. I'm in desperate need of it. And if I understand that need, then I'm going to prepare to take in God's wisdom. I'm going to get rid of that the sin in my life. I'm going to prepare myself to receive God's wisdom. And when I come up for that air and I pray and I ask God for wisdom, He's going to give it to me. 
and I'm going to regulate that. I'm going to do it over and over and over again. So we have to be aware of this conscious need that we have for wisdom. And I'll confess that I live my life not very aware of that sometimes. I encounter, usually in my day, I encounter things that I've already done. I've done this before. And I think I know how to handle this. I experienced it this week. I was sitting down with someone and they were sharing and I was going to be giving them counsel and I just started going through, okay, this is what I need to tell them. I need to tell them this. I need to tell them this. These are the three points I'm going to share. And I just realized that I got ahead of myself that I didn't even consider to ask God for wisdom in this situation. How can I best respond? How can I best counsel this guy? And so God wants us to be aware. We need to be aware. When you are interacting with your kids, when you're instructing them, when you're disciplining them, you need to ask for wisdom. When you're having this argument with your wife or your husband that you've had for the last five years, and it's the same argument over and over again, maybe we should stop and ask for wisdom. Because the way that I've handled it in the past hasn't worked. I don't know how to respond. I don't know how to respond in a godly way. I need wisdom. I need God's wisdom. And I think as we consider in this neighborhood, we're going to encounter trials, we're going to encounter difficulties, and we may come with strategies. This is how we're going to reach this neighborhood. This is how we're going to proclaim the gospel. This is how we're going to demonstrate the gospel. We have all these plans, all these ideas. And we need to stop and we need to ask God for wisdom. We need to ask Him to show us, God, what is it that you want us to do? How is it that you want us to demonstrate your gospel? How is it that you want us to proclaim it? In what way? So if we understand that need, we need to go to the source. And so James says, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. This idea of let him ask God, it's it again, I would continually be asking God for wisdom over and over, repeatedly, repeatedly. I don't ask today and wait till next week. I continue to ask repeatedly for wisdom from God. It's this ongoing duty that we're, that we're to perform. And Forrest Gump was a simple guy. He didn't pretend to know a lot. He wasn't arrogant. He was humble. He understood who he was. And so at some point in the movie, he decides to go into the army. And he says, I fit in the army like a round peg. He says, it's pretty simple. You made up your bed real neat. You stood up straight, and to everything you said, yes, drill sergeant. And there's a point in the movie where the drill sergeant says, Gump, what is your sole purpose in this army? And he says, to do whatever you tell me to, drill sergeant. But the drill sergeant says, that is the most outstanding answer I have ever heard. He says, you must have an IQ of 160. You're, you're a genius. But this was Forrest's perspective. He says, I don't know. I need this drill sergeant to tell me whatever to do. And then when he tells me to do it, I'm going to do it. I don't question it. I don't think about it. I just go to him. And I don't pretend to understand or know myself. And so do you guys approach God that way? Do you say, God, I am clueless? I may have experience with this, but I'm clueless still. Because I tend to say, well, God, this is what I'm thinking. I've got all these ideas, and God, could you give me some, some clarity here? Instead of just going to God and saying, God, I need your wisdom. 
And so as we ask for this wisdom, I want to be clear of what we're asking for. Particularly when we're in these trials, when we're in these difficulties, and we want, we're asking for wisdom, we're not asking for God to come fix our situation. I'm not saying, God, take me out of this. I'm saying, God, I need wisdom. I need your perspective so I can rightly respond to this, so I can rightly handle this. And I think that's very different perspective than we tend to have. Because God wants us to remain steadfast. He wants us to remain under a trial sometimes so that He can produce steadfastness in us and make us perfect and complete. So as we go to God, we need to understand His nature. His nature is generosity. It says He gives generously. This is not describing the wisdom He gives. It's describing God. God is generous. And if we're His children and we have this knowledge of Him and we've come to know Him, then we know He's generous. He gave us what we didn't deserve. He continues to remake us and transform us. We don't deserve it. He's generous. And I think we should understand that and we should respond based on that. The world or a non-believer might respond very differently. They see God with closed fists, not wanting to let go of what He has, not wanting to give to them. But God is open-hearted. He gives wholeheartedly. Some examples of that are that uh, a non-believer might say, why do bad things happen to good people? And we should be saying, why, would a, why does anything good happen to anyone when everyone's bad? We have to understand our place. A non-believer might say, why would a loving God make the way for salvation so narrow and limited? But seeing that God is generous, we should say, why would a holy God make a way for salvation that is so simple and that's open to everyone? It's a different perspective because we see God in a different way. We see Him as generous. And so He gives this glory, I mean, He gives this wisdom for His glory and for our benefit. There are no ulterior motives. And He gives based on His design and not what we deserve. And so think through that. If we got what we deserved, he would, we would not receive wisdom. But He gives us based on His design, what He wants for us, how He wants to see us as His children. We're part of His family. And that's because of His choice and because of what He has done for us. And so I want to look at this verse in Luke. We looked at this last week. As we looked at Jesus as our example as He encountered these trials. And so this verse in Luke is from... Jesus is just about to go to the cross. It's the night before. He's going to be arrested and tried. He's going to be crucified the next day and put into the ground. He's going to suffer for the sin of the world. And he goes out and he tells the disciples to begin to pray, but he separates himself because he goes to God. And in verse 41 it says, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus was in the middle of a trial. He was suffering. It didn't feel good. Jesus didn't walk around like we talked about with a big fat grin on his face. It was difficult. But he went to God. 
And he went to God and he prayed and he says, God, I need your will, not my will. I need your wisdom, not mine. And Jesus didn't get what he deserved. Jesus didn't deserve to go to the cross. Jesus didn't deserve to suffer for you and for I. But it was according to, God, to God's plan. And in the opposite way, we don't get what we deserve. But yet we get to experience him. We get to be part of his family. By his grace, he's offered that to us. And so as we do this, it doesn't mean that, that, that God doesn't rebuke us. At times he needs to correct us. But when we approach him in humility, he doesn't insult us. When we approach Him knowing, God, I am fallen, God, I don't know what to do. God, I understand who I am and I understand who you are. He doesn't respond and say, you know what, you've asked me this ten times already today. He doesn't keep a track or a record. He doesn't say, you know what, you've asked me for this wisdom and I've seen, I've given you this wisdom, I've shown you what you need to do and then you don't do it. I'm not giving it to you again. That's not His character. That's not how He responds. So God always responds favorably with wisdom when we turn to Him in our need for wisdom. But we have to understand our need. So understanding our need, we go to God. And going to God, now James tells us, this is how you approach God. He says, I want you to ask in faith. It says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must, must suppose that he will not receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So our asking is based on faith. It's not God's obligation, it's our obligation. Do we approach God in faith? That this is the attitude, this is the perspective we're to have as we approach God, as we approach Him in faith. We approach Him, God, this is what you've shown me through your word. This is what you've spoken. I believe it, and I'm going to respond and act as if it's true. Regardless of the situation, situation regardless of what's going on, I believe you, and so therefore I'm going to act. We're wholehearted attitude, we're fully dependent. And I know for myself, I started this walk with Jesus in full dependence. I got to the place where I was down on my knees where I said, God, I can't work my way to you. I can't live a life that's good enough for you. You are holy, you're separate, I need your forgiveness. I have nothing to give, but I receive your son. I got to that place where I was dependent. And then somehow after that, I get up off my knees and I start to walk this Christian walk. And I start to think, I start to become... I have this knowledge, I have this experience, and this way I become arrogant. I can handle this, God. Thanks so much. I'll get your some clarification from you when I need it, but I'm going to handle this as I best see fit. And I can actually improve myself. I'm going to transform myself. And when I get into these trials, when I have these difficulties, I might come to you then, but I don't have that perspective day to day. So we have to remain dependent. He says, to ask in faith without doubting. And this literally means without two opinions. It's like when sometimes I ask my, ask my wife, what do you think we should do here? This is a difficult situation. How should I respond to the kids? Or what do I need to do? Do I need to come home from work now to handle what's going on? I know what she's going to say. 
but I'm hoping maybe she'll say something differently. And then she says what I know she's going to say. Britt, you need to come home. I need your help right now. This is a situation with the kids or our family. This is the emergency. I need you. I need you here. She says what I know she was going to say. And then I try and say, well, you know what? I think I have a better way. Let's consider my way. And that's what we do with God. We have these two opinions. We go to God. We might know His Word for us. We might know what He is, is asking us to do. But we think, I've got a better way. So we ask, but we don't trust. We know, but we don't follow through. It's like we're asking God for wisdom and we put our hand out and God starts to give us wisdom like, no, 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 no. Okay, yeah, yeah, give it to me, give it to me. Oh, no, 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 don't give it to me. I don't want it because I know what you're probably going to give me and I don't want to endure under this trial. I don't want to stay under this. God, I want you to remove it. Actually, my way, I, I wish you could just take this away from me. Can you just remove this trial from me? That sounds really good. Could you give me another blessing in some other way where I can focus on this blessing and ignore this trial that I'm in? God, would you do that for me? So instead of just asking for wisdom as to how to respond, I come up with my own ways. We think we have a better way. For me, my struggle with this is as I get overwhelmed with my time, with my responsibilities, with my kids, with my family, with loving you guys. And my flesh and my mind, sometimes I just want to be removed. I just want to go away, I want to go to sleep, I want to relax, I want to sit on the beach. And after I get over all that, then I finally go to God and say, God, what do you have? I need your wisdom. How do you want me to respond? It may not be the best thing for me to remove myself and go lay down or go hide in the closet. But God wants me to endure. God wants me to continue on. He wants me by faith to respond. He says, Britt, this is what I have for you. Britt, there are no responsibilities you have that I'm not over, that I've not put you in. I need you to walk in that. I need you to continue in that. I need you to trust me and have faith. So think about your life and what God has placed in your life, the responsibilities you have, those that you have to love. Those of us in this body, there might be individuals in this body that are difficult for you to love. And I don't think that God wants you to run from them. I don't think that God wants you to avoid them and avoid interacting with them. I think God wants you to, by faith, demonstrate His love, right? That they'll know we're His disciples by how we love each other. So let's not run from trials. Let's seek wisdom so that we can handle them. And then James goes on and he gives a further portrait of this, of this individual that asks uh, without faith, that asks in doubt. And he says that they're like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. My first thought is this is a wave coming in from shore and it slowly goes all the way in and dies in the shore and then another one comes and another one comes. But this is not what James is referring to. He's referring to a wave. If you think about the sea, if you were out on the sea, away from the shore, on a boat, and you can watch the waves and the waves go up, the waves go down. The waves go left, the waves go right. As a boat comes by, the wave adjusts to that, and it just, it's all over the place. It actually is just completely unstable. And it's unstable because it doesn't have a foundation. It doesn't have an anchor. It's just influenced by everything on the outside. Whatever it comes across, it's going to change in response to it. And James says if we ask in faith, 
not truly believing what we know, not ready to respond to it, not ready to act it out, then we're like this wave. We have no foundation. And not having this foundation, being unstable, he says this instability, because we don't have faith, it works its way out in all areas of our life. And so I know I keep saying we have to understand, we have to have a right perspective of ourselves. But if we don't have a right perspective of ourselves, and we don't root ourselves in faith, believing God, believing who we are, believing who He is, and then acting accordingly, we're going to be unstable in all our ways. We're going to think differently. And don't fool yourself into thinking that you think one way and you act a different way. You think the way you act. You believe the way you act. And that's what James will repeatedly show us, that how, what you demonstrate, what makes its way out in your life, that's what you believe. We can confess one thing, but our lives might look a different way. And if we do that, James even commands them. He says, don't even consider that God will answer your prayers. If you throw up these prayers that ask for wisdom, but you truly don't want wisdom, God's not going to respond to that. You're wasting your time. We can't be double-minded. He says that this man is a double-minded man. And I thought a lot through this about being double-minded. And this was probably a term that James created. It literally means to have two souls. I'm acting as if I have two different masters. I'm unsettled. I'm not anchored in anything. And you guys know that I'm a therapist. I treat patients, or I used to treat patients. Now I talk to therapists who treat patients. But the most difficult thing to treat that I experienced was, was double vision. When I would have a patient, sometimes after a stroke, and they would be unable to focus. They would have double vision. They would reach out for objects, and they wouldn't know if it was the object or if it was the double vision. It was just completely... It, it was de debilitating. If you think through that, if your whole day was double, if you cross your eyes and that's what you see, now you saw that all day long and you couldn't change it. It was hard to get dressed. It was hard to feed yourself. It was hard to do anything that we normally do that we take for granted. But with the vision system, it starts in the brain. And the brain sig sends signals through a nerve to muscles around the eye. And those muscles around the eye then contract the lens on our eyeballs. And then the light has to come in through the cornea, this outside window to our eyes. And so there's multiple steps for us to be able to see one clear image. And so as I treated these individuals with a stroke, typically what was wrong was the brain. There was an issue with the brain at the very foundation of their vision, the very first thing that was needed. And we learned early on, don't go treat the muscles around the eye when the brain is the issue. And I could work, and I could work, and we could do exercises, we could do uh, different functional activity. But if we didn't address what was originally wrong, it was worthless. And so this is what James is telling us. You need to address the core issue. You need to address your faith. You need to consider what you believe and what your life demonstrates that you believe. And if you believe that you are fallen, if you believe that you are the issue, then you're going to go to God continually for wisdom. As you encounter these trials, as God is building up steadfastness in you, and that steadfastness results in you being perfect and complete, I'm going to go to God. 
Why would I go to myself? He's generous. He'll give to me. He'll give to me generously. He won't hold anything back. And I think sometimes we treat these secondary and third tertiary issues when the real issue is us and the real issue is our faith and our perspective of how we see ourselves. Because if I saw myself right and I saw my situation right, then I would have a right perspective on my trials. So I think as we float along, we have to anchor ourselves in the gospel. We have to anchor ourselves in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That that's what we need to hold on to. And the gospel says that God is holy, that He is separate. He's completely different. He's perfect. And then the gospel says that I'm not. I'm not. I deserve to suffer for all of eternity. And I still wouldn't pay for my issues. I still wouldn't pay for my sin. I can't fix this situation myself. But God has the solution. And not only does God have the solution, but God became the solution. And God has offered this to me and He's offered this to you. And all we have to do, like we talk about in communion, all we have to do is receive this cup that He's given to us. Receive this promise. We receive His Son. But then we're to return it back and say, I receive this, but I give this back. I give my life back to you. So we have to understand ourselves in perspective of the Gospel. As we encounter trials, if I have that perspective, I'm not going to think, I don't deserve this trial. Because I deserve much worse than this trial. I deserve much worse than this difficulty. And what's crazy is that as a child of God now, as I encounter this trial, as I encounter this difficulty, there is purpose in it. That it's for God's glory and that it's for my benefit. That God is going to make me perfect and complete as I go through this time of testing, this time of probation to see, is my faith authentic? So what we're going to do today, um, we typically pray before I teach. But with this passage, it says we should go to God, right? We should ask for wisdom. And as we think about our own lives, as you think about the difficulties, the trials that you might be going through, as we think about moving forward, engaging in this neighborhood, building relationships, as we think about what God is going to do here, before we get to that, we need to ask for wisdom. We need to ask that God would give us His perspective, that we'd have a right perspective of ourselves so we can have a right perspective of what He's calling us to do and the difficulties that we're going to face. So that's how I want to respond this morning, because we'll have our time of prayer now. And so as we pray, we pray as a body. Um, and as you feel led, please, please pray out loud. And I would encourage you to pray in your heart language. And Nidia will be interpreting. She'll interpret it from English to Spanish or Spanish to English. But as you feel the Lord leading, please cry out. But this is a time for us to come together because we want to acknowledge our need that we would not come here and we'd not just run through this service and run through teaching and run through worship, but we'd stop and we'd acknowledge, God, we need you to show up. We need your wisdom. We need to know how to proceed. We need to understand how can we live out your righteousness in our daily life. How can we live that out as a body? So let's go to the Lord together.
and let's ask him for that.